thing that was here, thank you, yesterday. And um, it started me thinking about the last couple months where we have seen a lot of joyful celebrations of weddings and anniversaries. There's been a whole lot of anniversaries the last couple months as well. You know, pastors are always thinking about sermons, messages. I think I can safely say for all pastors that our mind is continually running about everything that happens to us or everything we're involved in, and we're always looking at it, thinking, is there a sermon in that? Can we make this into a message? What do you think about that, Holy Spirit? Do I need to say something like this? And how do I need to say something like this? It's kind of like your phone. I didn't realize that I'd had my phone for a little while, and it was getting really slow, and I gave it to my son, of course, and said, you know, what's wrong with this thing? And he pushed some buttons, and he said, Mom, you've got like 60 programs running in the background here of this phone. You're supposed to close these out. Nobody told me to close them out. So it's kind of like that with us. So sometimes when I feel like I'm, or y'all think I'm just kind of thinking about something else, I'm probably wondering where that sermon is or where the message is going to come. Of course, the last couple months, my mind has been on weddings and the joyful celebration. It's just exciting, isn't it? Even, you know, even if you're not right here present at the ceremony, just thinking about two people coming together and beginning their life anew, I think that's just a wonderful, exciting time to be with them. On the other hand, you might have noticed that we're doing just a little bit of construction out the portico. You might have seen some of the um, bulldozers, some of the concrete construction out there. Now that too, for me, is very exciting. I love construction because it too is kind of a way of seeing new beginnings, of changing something that needs to be renovated. New beginnings. It's very exciting. So I've been kind of thinking about Two things, weddings and construction. Now, typically those two things don't go together. So this kind of gives you a little glimpse into my mind, which you might not want to look into, but this is just how it works. And I'm thinking, you know, weddings and construction, got my mind to all that. And then I read Ephesians chapter 2. Remember last week, we had kind of looked in Ephesians about a couple things and compared it to Revelation. And the more I read chapter 2, the more I realized that, Marriages and construction, surprisingly, has a lot in common together, a lot of similarities. Now, Ephesians in chapter 2, Paul describes the beautiful transformation of independent individuals. Now, these people are people who at times were opposed to each other, but they are coming together as one through Christ. And they are building a life of harmony and love in the Spirit of God. So I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 17 through 22. And he came, Jesus, and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, 
in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Amen. Now, Paul loves these, what we consider run-on sentences. He can just go, the introduction to Ephesians is about two paragraphs long. So I want us to kind of break this down a little bit and take a little bit closer look at it. Paul is basically speaking to the new Christians at the church of Ephesus. There's two distinct groups of people. There are the Jews and everybody else. And everybody else were called Gentiles. So these were Jews who had newly converted to Christianity, and they were the Gentiles who had newly converted to Christianity. Now, he calls the Gentiles strangers because they were not included in the first covenant with God. They were, the grand plan was for them always to be saved, but he had made a covenant with the Jews. So Paul is saying now, through Christ, they are all coming together as fellow citizens, children of God's family, his household. So you have these two groups of people coming together to become as one in Christ. And just like a marriage, when you have two families coming together because the children got married, you have to start working on a new life together, constructing a new life together. And just like marriage, sometimes this construction process is not always a very smooth transition. Sometimes it can be a little rough. Now, both groups had their own traditions, had their own beliefs. The Gentiles even had their own gods, many. The Jews had their own god, Jehovah. And each of them thought that their way was the best way, was the right way. And so they brought these past little idiosyncrasies, these past traditions and parts of their life into this new relationship. It would be kind of similar to us to two very, very different denominations trying to merge into one denomination. Both think they're right and both think they do it the right way. What they needed to have a successful process to build this spiritual house successfully is they needed a plan. They needed God's blueprint. They needed a plan that both of them could work through and work on. And this is what Paul is doing in the book of Ephesians. He's laying out a plan for new Christians. Now, every construction job, spiritual or otherwise, has to have a plan. We have to have a plan because there's so many people working on the job. There's so many different individuals. We have to know where we're going we have to know what the goal is. If we did not have a single plan, no one would know what they were supposed to do when. The bulldozer wouldn't know how to form the ground. The concrete layer wouldn't know where to form the sidewalks and pour the sidewalks. And the brick mason wouldn't know how to build the walls or the sidewalks. Every marriage needs a plan as well. Now, this plan might not be drawn out on paper or blueprint. But every couple going into a marriage needs to know who is going to be responsible for what things in the marriage. Now, this can change, but they need to have an idea. Who's going to wash the dirty clothes? Who's going to cook the food? If you don't have this plan, 
You've got to have a bunch of people walking around in dirty clothes and hungry all the time. So a marriage needs a plan as well. And of course, we Christians, we need a plan on how we will be growing in Christ. Growth, in Christ, growth as a Christian, I think this is one of our biggest hindrances maybe, is we just think Christian growth just happens. But it doesn't. It's like those dirty clothes on the floor. They're not just jump up and throw themselves into the washing machine. Somebody's got to pick them up and sort them and all this stuff, go through the stuff, the detergent, fabric softener, all this stuff, and put them in the washing machine. You know who does the laundry at my house. And then they've got to take them out and put them in the dryer. Christian growth doesn't just happen. Each of us have to be responsible for our own spiritual growth. We have to have a plan for prayer, for Bible study, and for worship. Every construction job has to have a general contractor. He is or she is the guide, the main person that walks everyone else through the construction process. This person makes sure all the different components fit together. Every marriage has a general contractor as well. Now, there may be equal input from both sides and good discussion about it, But generally, there's one person who kind of guides that marriage and kind of sets the course for how the marriage will work together. And keeping with this construction example, see all the similarities? Who would have thought? Every Christian needs to have a general contractor as well. Our guide who will lead us through the process and changes of sanctification. And, as Christ followers, our general contractor needs to be Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Every single one of us has a plan. Every single one of us, if you are a child of God, is in the process of construction. How will we know what to do and when we're supposed to do it if we don't look to our Lord and Savior as our guide, as our leader? Now, Paul tells us the plan is... For Christ to be our cornerstone. Everything we are, everything we do, everything we say is supposed to be based on the cornerstone of Christ. This cornerstone, this this word, if you look it up, it's a very interesting word. And it has all sorts of root meanings and all this stuff. It's a little different. So where did Paul come up with this? Well, Same place we come up with things. When Harvey and I preach and we want to tell you something, we don't just say, take our word for it because we're standing up here. We go back to Scripture. We go back to the Bible. This is what Paul did. He went back to the Old Testament, their Bible. And in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, we find where he got this metaphor of a capstone, cornerstone. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. A costly cornerstone. Did you notice the last words, will not be disturbed? Now, to me, that struck me as a little funny. Won't be disturbed. What do you mean? We're going to have peace. You know, what is he talking about? He mentioned peace earlier in the scripture. So it might sound a little strange until you know exactly what a cornerstone is. Now, 
the ground, we think when we're walking on the ground and building on the ground, that it's fairly firm, it's fairly stable. But truth be known, it's really not. The ground is always, because of temperature changes and earthquakes and the plate tectonics and the type of soil it is, it's always slightly moving. Now, we know this because of our houses. If we have a house that's made of wood, wood is pliable. So it doesn't necessarily develop cracks or break, but you might hear this creak, creak as you walk across a wooden floor. Our house is about 35, 36 years old, and there's a spot in the bedroom. And I swanee, every time Philip gets up, he, I think he has a circle around it so he can step on it because it always squeaks and cracks and stuff and wakes me up. The doors creak just a little bit because the wooden house, it's settling. It's settling, settling into the soil which it was built on. Brick houses, they do the same thing, but what brick does a lot of times, you'll see a little crack in the foundation or maybe a crack going up in the mortar between the bricks. This is how the settling occurs with the ground. Now, we've got a picture that when you have a large building made of large stone blocks that are not pliable, like the picture shown, you must have something to hold the rock walls together. So when a disturbance comes, like the ground settling or an earthquake or a huge storm or something like this, the walls of the building remain secure to the cornerstone and are not disturbed. Those cornerstones, that big rectangular stone that you see that's facing right to you, that's not a seam. That's just one great big stone, one stacked on top of the other. The cornerstone was vital to the strength of the building and holds the building, the house, the temple together. Now, when Paul was writing this in Ephesians, yes, he was writing an epistle to the church of Ephesians, but every word in the Bible is used for teaching. So what does this mean to us? We were all strangers and aliens to God when sin had separated us from God. We were all strangers to each other because we did not have the one Spirit of God uniting us as the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. The only way we can be one in the Spirit with Christ is for Him to be our cornerstone. The only way we can be one in spirit with each other is for us to realize and to rely on Christ as our cornerstone. Christ is the one who ties all things together. The one who always supports us when life makes us feel like the ground is collapsing under our feet. You know, it's kind of shaking and what we thought was solid and secure is not. The one who is solid and trustworthy and gives us the strength to hold it together when our whole world is crumbling around us. The one who we can look to as our leader who will guide us through our life's plans. The cornerstone, the one, the rock that we can build our spiritual house on so we know that it will not be shaken and it will not be moved. When Christ is our cornerstone, 
we can joyfully and faithfully walk this journey together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to repeat verse 21, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. This is just one reason why it's so important for us to meet regularly together. We were never made to go on this journey, this sanctification, this walk with Christ, whatever you want to call it, alone. Life's too hard. Life can be mean. Life can be hurtful. We need each other. We need the love that we can have for each other, the encouragement we can have for each other. We need each other to build our spiritual house. This is Holy Communion Sunday, a time when we come to the Lord's tables as individuals, but also as the body of Christ. We come to open our hearts to the Holy Spirit so we can see where He might want to do a little construction in us, a little renovation in us. Holy Communion is a time for us to receive Christ's grace anew and remember what Christ has done for us in the past. When we come to Christ's table, we remember what Christ is doing for us right now because we're right in the middle of the construction process. And also we remember what Christ will do for us in the future, for all eternity. See, Christ was just one man, fully God, fully human. But he came for all. This is why when we take the one piece of bread that symbolizes the one body of Christ, what we do is we break it. We break it. Not because Christ's body was physically broken, the bones were broken. No, Scripture says no, not one was broken. But because He broke it for all of us, we who are many, but also because He broke the bondage of death, eternal death. He broke that for us so we are free to join Him in eternal life. Just as we take the blood, the one cup of Christ, we take the juice. It is one because Christ, His blood, was shed for every single one of us.